Get ready for a new episode of Breakthrough, America's number one podcast for actors, writers, and filmmakers. Featuring award-winning writer, producer, and director, James Polakoff. The sponsors of this episode are Chocolate Therapy and Black Rock Winery. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for a special offer. Now, here's our host, James. Writers of all persuasions, listen up. I'm about to interview one of the crown jewels of the literary world. A woman who knows the answers about finding a home for your book. This is yours truly, writer, producer, and director James Polikoff. And welcome to another great episode of Breakthrough, the podcast that tells you how. So let's meet Wendy Keller, founder of Keller Media, an award-winning former journalist, a highly respected literary art, uh, agent, an author, speaker, an acclaimed book marketing consultant. She does it all. But now listen to this. Wendy Keller has sold an astonishing 1,780 deals worldwide. This includes 18 New York Times bestsellers. Wendy has also been featured on major uh, TV shows, talk shows such as Dateline, Dr. Phil, Bill Maher, and many others. But what's really amazing to me is the world now contains more than 4,800,000 Keller Media books. Boy, that is really something. It's so good to have you here. So let's make this interview happen. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jim. I'm very excited. All right. Well, good. We're all excited then. Why don't we cut to the chase right off the bat and let our listeners know, I'm aware you don't handle fiction. So I want to make that clear to because we have so many writers in our audience. Some of them are fiction writers. But I do want to make it a point at the very beginning. And that is, there, we've heard the phrase starving writer. There are so many writers waiting for that bestseller to break through and make them rich and famous that they realize they've got to earn a living in the meantime. And many writers earn a living by doing nonfiction books, things that actually could click. And later on, they get their big break. Am I right about that, Wendy? A hundred thousand percent. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, good. So can you discuss a few of the successful books you represent and why they sold well? Sure. The first, well, these are going to be nonfiction, but one of the first one that comes to mind, um, I was sea kayaking a couple of weeks ago and the cruise director for our little four hour kayaking adventure in uh, Anacapa Island, she said something about her passion for the ocean. And I said, oh, you should read a book by a client of mine, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, who wrote the book Blue Mind. It's all about care for the ocean and what we can do as individuals and loving the ocean and respecting it and how important it is to the biosphere called Earth. And she said, oh, I read that book when I was younger and it changed my life. Hmm. That book's been a New York Times bestseller. It has sold on, in many other countries. It's considered one of the most influential books on changing the relationship between humans, readers, and the planet. And it's been a real gift to work with Dr. Nichols. He's brilliant. He runs the hashtag Blue Mind Foundation, mm -hmm. and they do all kinds of important things. That book has been really wonderful and really influential in so many ways. It's an honor to work with things like that. Um, other books that have been enormously successful. Uh, many years ago, I ran, I, I sold a book by the psychic 
Shar Margolis. And Shar's book came out and um, did really well in the United States. I think I sold the first book to Simon and Schuster, but then we ended up selling it to a Dutch publisher where it became a huge bestseller and uh, hundreds of thousands of copies sold eventually in Europe. Um, many, what was the many title of that? Um, the first one I think was called uh, Inner Wisdom by Shar Margolis. And okay, then the, I think I saw that on your list. That book was huge. And then she did a second book. I'm sorry, the title escapes me, but that book was also huge back when being a psychic or becoming more intuitive was a thing. Very exciting. There's, I could go on for hours. I've worked with some truly amazing people, Nobel nominees and and oh. uh, CEOs and you know that sort of thing. And that's what makes um, a book sell is a, a book sell. Even this is interesting. I was speaking to an agent or a publisher rather at, at uh, one of the Penguin Random House imprints and she and I were talking about fiction and she said, well, you know, they have to have a platform these days and platform is kind of my thing. You know, it's right. the subject of my most that. recent book, right? It's the topic of my own, my 31st book was on platform building. But I said to her, well, what possible platform could a fiction writer have that would make any impact on you, editor at Penguin Random House? And she said, well, we'd like to know that they at least are engaging on social media. And I said, well, do you mean they're talking about their book on social media? That seems risky. Who wants to put themselves out there? What if the book doesn't sell? Then they'd be embarrassed. She said, oh, no, no, not that. Just that they have lots of friends and they have lots of connections in different social media. So when they announce that the book is sold, there's people to pick it up and talk about it. I thought that was very insightful and probably helpful for your people. I just had to glance over at, uh, at my associate, uh, Faith, who actually is a guru in social media. Beautiful. That's one of the things I have a side company. And one of the things that we do is social media. You're so oh, right that, uh, and she heads that area. You're so exactly right that that can make a major impact. Okay. And that's interesting. I, I, in fact, a little later in our interview, I do want to ask you a bit more about the platform concept. Sure, of uh, course. I noticed one of the books you had was on reincarnation. Is that a nonfiction book you have? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, would that be uh, Mark Anthony or would that be Shar Margolis? I think it was Mark Anthony, but I'm not yeah. sure. That's I was just curious how that did. I mean, I, I happen to have written a book on that as well. Oh, so I was curious how that did for you. Well, ask me in a year. It comes out October 5th. Oh, it hasn't come out yet. No, it's on our oh. sold list, but it's not on our, it's sold, right. but it hasn't released yet. In fact, I spoke to Mark a couple hours ago. All right. Interesting. Well, some of our filmmakers in our listening audience might find it to be a good idea to go to your website, which is kellermedia.com, and look over a few of our books. And the reason I bring this up is some of our uh, audience is comprised of filmmakers, and mm. they might find something as an excellent television documentary Absolutely. that they can sell to an HBO or a Netflix, uh, or they might even make a short film that they can put into Academy Award contention, which will obviously really help spring the career. So of I'm course. telling our filmmakers out there, just because you may not, you may or may not be a writer, this is something you should look at. Take a look at, at uh, Wendy's library. He, she's got some fabulous nonfiction books there. And uh, you might find something that you want to see if you can broker a deal with. But anyway, just an That'd FYI. Be great. I, I come from screenplays, as you well know. I sold screenplays in the first four years of my career. So I, I certainly see books to film as being important. And, you know, I've had... Uh, uh, we have had options on several of those projects. And in some cases, I think there are books that would make beautiful films, but of course that's not my world. So I leave right. that to the film agents. 
Okay. So anyway, I thought I would mention that. But let's talk about finding an agent for a book. Um, tell me, what are some of the agents thinking uh, when they read a newly proposed project? What goes through their mind? Well, this is universal, whether the agent handles screenplays or fiction or nonfiction. So um, I have a short video on YouTube called Wendy Keller's Rule of 30 that I recommend if you're trying to get a nonfiction agent and when you should know when to pull the plug, go back, redraft and come back. And that's probably true for fiction also, although I didn't create it with that in mind. But the, the, the reality is that, you know, agents are looking for things that will sell. We work for free until we get the money for you from the purchaser, the licensor. So because we're working for free, we're not really looking for things that are going to take a massive amount of work before we can sell them. In my case, I run a, a book proposal workshop writing program. And if you come with a good idea, but it's not ready yet, I'm not going to put the time in. I'm not going to assign an editor unless you have a massive reputation in the world or you're famous, I'm going to send you to the bookproposalworkshop.com and I'm going to tell you to take the class because then you'll have something I can sell in the form that I can sell it in, assuming you've also put together the platform. So when an agent's looking at it, we're thinking not, first of all, I don't read the stuff that comes in. I'm not the first reader. Many agents who are established no longer read the projects themselves until they make it through a certain gauntlet. And uh, so I'm not the first reader, but this, but the rules are mine, what that person has to present to my first reader. And then if they get to my level, all I'm thinking is, who do I know who's going to want to buy this? And by that, I mean, which editors at Simon Schuster, HarperCollins, Macmillan, whatever it is, or where that fits, who's going to buy it? Who's interested in this? Who would be buying this book? And what other books have I sold or other agents have sold that are similar? And how will this book compete? And that's what I'm asking. There's not really a whole lot to it. People go, well, I'll just keep sending it to agents until one of you stupid idiots. Well, it's not really that way. If it's good, here's the thing that's really important to know, Jim. If it's good, we immediately begin fighting each other for the chance to represent that person. I mean, within oh, okay. two Internally. of my best sellers came because my assistant got the query, saw it, and gave it to me all within the first 45 minutes. I called the author and I had him signed an hour later. Two bestsellers for my agency came from that, signing Dodinsky, which is not his real name, but signing Dodinsky. And it's not even the kind of book we typically represent. But by the end of that week, he'd had seven agents offer him a contract and he turned them all down. That's how it really works when you've got something good. Sorry well, to break any hearts. Now, you mentioned a video, so you can give some insight. Again, can you find that on your website, or do you have to go no, to a No, it's on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. It's on, it's Wendy, go to Google, type, or YouTube, type in Wendy Keller's Rule of 30, and join the people who've watched it. So. All right, the Rule of 30. Now, you, you did mention something that, that kind of piqued my interest about a reader. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, most agencies have, well, you know, uh, uh, I guess, screener, different yeah. levels of readers. It goes from one reader and then it goes up to another. And eventually, the agent might get a listener looked at it. Yes. Um, so, it would, you know, does this affect an agent's chance? I mean, the reader, uh, I assume, doesn't have the knowledge and the expertise that the agent does. So what happens if, you know, you hit a stone wall with a reader who doesn't get it? But the, it really is probably a good book, and the agent might pick it up. Is there any way around this? Well, um, respectfully, I must suggest that that is an incorrect assumption. All right, good. Well, you tell me. Set me straight. I want to know. So my reader has four questions she asks of the project. 
and the author before she will send it along to me. So other agents might have, and when I first started in screenplays, I was a reader for a fiction agent, I'm sorry, for a screenplay agent. And, um, and I wrote huge coverages and did a lot of work. I've also hired readers from other agencies of different sorts. And I have a reader and all of them are doing basically the same thing. They are looking at it to see if it meets certain criteria because fiction, even though a lot of fiction authors don't see this in fiction, there's cyclical books. Like we went through the vampire stage and Mm -hmm. all this other, right? So there's cycles in nonfiction. There are also cycles. So that you'll see 40 books roughly on the same topic, and then you won't see them again because they've cycled out. So my reader is looking for four specific questions for nonfiction. And if the author's material matches those four questions, then it gets passed to me. In other times when when I'm more busy, the only thing that changes is the response time, not necessarily because if I have five things to read and I've got 20 things to sell, I'm going to be focused on selling because sure, that's, that's my money is. Right. Well, that's kind of interesting. So what you're saying, the four questions that your reader asks uh, out of curiosity, are they the same four questions regardless of the project that is yes. presented? They're universal for nonfiction. So, so yes. basically, right. So if they meet this criteria, then it goes on to you. Yes. And I make a decision usually within two minutes. So the should uh, the writer, before they even present the property, look to see what that criteria might be, what you're looking for? To make sure that you're the right fit. In other words, you, the interest would be there. There would be no way to ascertain that from the outside. But we do have we do have on our website repeatedly. We don't handle screenplays. We don't have fiction. We don't handle poetry. And people send those fairly often. But the system is set up. We have an intake, a, a digital intake form at kellermedia.com slash query. And people will still send us those things, even though it says all over the place, don't send right. this. And the system will immediately get rid of them. So I'm talking about those who are not instantly rejected for sending us something that we don't handle automatically. So those four questions are the same. They are universal. They are the questions that the publisher will ask of me as an agent before I dare to present something to one of them. So if they match, they proceed. And if they don't, they get rejected automatically, (laughs) pretty much. They get a nice letter telling them what to do, not in an unkind way. And we say, you do this, do this, or do this. There are only four main, five main reasons that something can't be represented. And I am bold enough to say that I would guess that if we don't want it, um, neither will any other agents, because what we're all looking for are these same four things in nonfiction. Right. So uh, it just sounds to me like the best thing that a prospective writer would do before submitting is really take a look at what you handle to see if, you know, they feel it might fit into that area. That would make them wonderful. But I think they think it's a bulk thing and they want to put the responsibility on the agencies. So if someone is going in and they're sending it to 50 agents. So one of the things I say in the rule of 30 is you should only be sending. And this is really important for an artist's heart, particularly in fiction. Please hear this. Please hear this. If you are set writing a, for instance, a romance novel and you go somewhere and you get a list from some one of those list websites and you look for fiction agents and you happen to send it to editors who only handle vampire stories or only handle YA content or only handle juve, 
Now you're in a bad situation because you're going to get instant rejections because you're writing a romance and they probably won't tell you that's why they're rejecting you. You need to look specifically for agents who are selling currently and have successfully sold books in your genre and not send it to other people or you're going to get rejections that will make you think, I'm no good. Nobody wants my material. And then you'll hang up your pen. (laughs) Don't do that to yourself. A, A great piece of advice. Now, out of curiosity, is the name of the game securing an agent or securing the right agent? Can beggars be choosy? No. Mm -mm. I often tell people, go find a new agent, new to the business. I don't care what their age is, but go find a new agent who's got the time for this. I don't have time. And I'm not being rude. I'm just being honest. You know, Mm -hmm. if I don't think it's going to sell for 50,000 or more, I'm not going to touch it. Why would I? Why would I? You know? Uh, it's a lot of work. And I, I believe an agent's job includes helping support the author's marketing plans and helping them understand how to put their platform together and making tweaks because most of my clients are speakers, coaches, or consultants. And so my expertise is in helping someone turn that nonfiction book into increasing their revenue or starting their revenue stream in those categories. That makes me pretty much unique, I think, uh, among my peers because I put so much time and energy into marketing. But the difference is that, you know, if you've got a marginal $10,000 run of the mill nonfiction book and you send it to the big agencies only, you're probably going to get rejected. If you send it to a bigger boutique agency like we are, you're probably going to get rejected. So go ahead and take whatever deal you can get, prove us all wrong, sell 50,000 units in year one, and we'll be very, very sorry we said no, but we'll be interested in your second project. All right. Well, that sounds that that's interesting. You you mentioned for the second time the term platform, uh, and you address um, the importance on your website. Uh, at least I read that the publishers are always wanting to a writer to have a platform. Can you be more specific about what that platform should be? Sure. Um, the gen- so my most recent book, as I said, is called the Ultimate Guide to Platform Building, published by Entrepreneur Press. And in that book, I define platform as a large growing fan base of people who like you, know you exist, and like your work. That doesn't necessarily mean they like your book, which hasn't been published yet. It means they like your podcast, or they like your webinar, or they like your consulting with you, or they like whatever it is. You have to have some proof, social proof, that the world is interested in you and your take on your topic because you're not original on it. Even in fiction, there have been other romance books. There have been other sci-fi books. You're trying to get people interested in your perspective on your material so that you can have the greatest chance of selling. Publishers, when I started in this business in 1989, there were 32,000 nonfiction books published that year, including textbooks and reference books because we didn't have the internet yet. And last year, according to Bowker, our research organization in the publishing industry, there were more than 7 million nonfiction books published in one year. 7 million titles? You mean titles? 7 million titles. How is a consumer going to differentiate unless you have a platform? So a publisher can publish your beautiful work of art that you struggled with for so many years, and it's the best of what you can do and all that stuff. But if they can't sell it, it's garbage in our world because they don't make money till it sells and the agent doesn't make money till it sells. Sorry to be vicious, but that's how the big world works of publishing. Well, I think being vicious, being honest is the way that's what our, our listeners want to hear. They don't want to hear, you know, puff. they want to hear reality. Yeah. Uh, but out of curiosity, because you mentioned this, 
What do you think about people who say, all right, you know, it's going to be tough to go out and find myself an agent or a publisher. It's such a big field out there, and I don't really know anyone. What do you think about self-publishing? Well, for some people, self-publishing is important. For instance, if your book is on how to successfully raise Siberian hamsters for fun and profit, (laughs) you should self-publish. If your book is on your life story and your big, big denouement is that you went from your home in Oklahoma to a single wide trailer in Wisconsin, you should self-publish. However, if you're writing anything that you actually would like to sell more than one copy to your brother or your mother, then you probably need to look at why you are not willing to do the effort it takes to get an agent and to get a publisher. Because like I said, with that many millions of books published each year, how are you going to differentiate that without a platform? Now, in some cases, one self-publishes, has a platform building, self-publishes, and then the platform carries the book to success. But you're going to need to build a platform no matter what, whether you're writing fiction. And if it were true that everybody could be successful, then every screenplay that gets developed by somebody you've never heard of before, and then they try and sell it to a distributor, would create huge success for the development process, or it would become an absolute award-winning film. Most of the time, though, what happens is nobody knows it exists, and you end up with a very bad reputation in the book industry, at least, because if we go on Amazon and see that your self-published book sold, you know, and the ranking on the page is right there for everyone to see. If we see you're at 16,904 ranking in Amazon, we know that your book didn't sell very many copies. And that means that you don't know what you're doing. So unless something has changed and you've signed a contract to be the next Oprah, nobody's interested in your next book because you've got this dead horse tied to your neck, albatross, whatever. It's a very, very, very risky decision to self-publish unless you have a platform or you have such a niche for your material about Siberian hamsters that you're going to totally dominate. There are exceptions to the rule, but the chances that you're going to be one of them are probably less or probably better than your chances of being eaten by a shark if you've never gotten in the ocean. (laughs) Well, that's a good comparison if you've never gotten in the ocean. In any case, uh, you know, aside from a lone shark, but I won't get into bad puns. Let me ask you this, you, because you you mentioned the platform, and I really want our listeners to understand this, because this is different than your website. You published a book that's all about platforms, what people, what writers need to know. How do they find this book again, please? How do they find what book? My your book? book on platforms. I don't know. It's on Amazon somewhere. Okay, but the title it's again. The Ultimate Guide to Platform Building. I'm not, I'm not necessarily pitching the book. I'm pitching the platform. And let me say this, that the book has... The book works for people who are visual learners, but a lot of people are not visual learners anymore. So to make it easier, we have a website called strategicvisibilitymarketing.com, strategicvisibilitymarketing.com. There's a free test on there for every author. You can take the test and we'll tell you what your proclivities are, your talent is as a promoter of your own content. And then you can make a decision from there. I have little $39 classes 
You can watch a video. You can download hundreds of documents overall on the website that will tell you exactly how to, for instance, start to get paid to give speeches or build your social media presence in a way that will attract a publisher or start to write ancillary content that you can sell or whatever. The purpose of that is to get people in the process so they understand. And because there are so many ways to build a platform creatively and with excitement and with little money, a lot of money, no time, lots of time, whatever it is, because there are so many ways to do it, I figured out that this would be the easiest way probably to help authors so they can get past my screener because one of those four questions is about platform and then be able to get into the agent's point um, purview so we can make decisions to buy your book. So because every publisher, the first question is not what that client's book is about. It's what's their platform. I will lead a query to a publisher with here's the platform. And I don't even talk about the content until I've got the platform in place with them. And neither does any other agent. Well, uh, again, I'll remind our, our listeners that, uh, fortunately, we have a very well-visited uh, website ourselves for our podcast, and uh, Wendy's information uh, that she's mentioning, I want to be sure that we put that on our website so mm-hmm. that, because we, we have, a you know, obviously a number of resources that people come to on our website, so I want to be sure that we we put that in there. I think that's important. Thank you, Jim. And even if they just take the test, it will help them because there are so many ways to build a platform. It's important to know what your natural aptitude is. And then once you know your natural aptitude, just build in that niche. It'll be big enough if you do it. So getting back to films and TV, I'm just uh, uh, curious. Uh, This is a side question. You mentioned at the beginning that you began selling screenplays. Why did you switch from screenplays to books? What, What caused that to happen? Universal. Um, I had a deal with Universal and the author flew out for a meeting and I sold a lot of screenplays. I don't know why I was so successful. It doesn't, it's not logical that I was that successful. So I didn't really realize that I was unusually successful until after I quit, but (laughs) I'd already done it. (laughs) But, um, but the point is that um, we had a client who actually I sold, I think 12 or 13 teleplays for the next Star Trek, the next generation and deep space nine. He was a great writer and he was writing a screenplay. And I went to, he had, he, the screenplay had been approved and approved and approved by different levels of people at universal. And I, I won't say the producer's name who did this to us, but it made me change my mind. And he kept, the client kept flying out at huge expense. I lived in Malibu. So it wasn't problem for me, but he was going through a lot of effort and we get the approval and we go to the next level, we get the approval, we go to the next level. And finally we meet with Mr. Bigwig, who's going to sign the check and we're going to do it this week. And we will get back to you absolutely no later than Monday. Okay. The client flies home. We have a champagne dinner. He flies home. We're all excited. Monday comes and passes nothing. Two weeks later, after me making extensive invasive phone calls to everybody at Universal that I know, where the hell is this offer? We finally get some junior secretary to the juniorest secretary in the world who goes, oh, Mr. read it over the weekend a couple of weeks ago and decided we don't really want to do it. And I was like, ah, how can this happen? Oh, my goodness. And, and I have to tell you, I know of a couple of stories where people have taken things to studios or to networks. The deal has been made. They even get the option money on it. Yes. And it never gets, never gets made. made. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. I know if I sell a book, it's going to show up unless the author plagiarizes. Boom. 
And that happens every time. And I will tell you that the reason I sell nonfiction and not fiction is primarily this. If I get a great proposal in my hand from an author who has a good subject and a good platform, and I put it up for sale, I will have a deal in six weeks. I hardly ever go into the seventh or eighth week with anything. That's a beautiful thing, as opposed to the crap I put up with at Universal, where it took months. And I said, you know what? This is going to be easier. And that was it. I quit. Well, in any case, uh, again, to our filmmakers and writers, uh, publish a nonfiction or get a nonfiction book published. It's so uh, easy. Earn a living while you're waiting to get the big thing that you've dreamed of all so your life. So easy. Yeah. Now, let's get to the really important stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, and this is what our listeners want to know. A writer comes to you with a novel, or not a novel, but a nonfiction book that you like. Yes. A proposal, not a book. That, what, okay, right. But what happens at that point? Um, what do you then do to, and you say you do it in such a short period of time, what do you do to get that thing made right or, or, or published right away? Is, are there certain things that you need from the writer to really make this happen aside from the platform? So a book proposal in nonfiction is to the publish to the publishers, what a business plan is to a venture capitalist. You're trying to get a stranger to write a check for your idea. So the proposal needs to be perfect. And I am a stickler, as are all successful nonfiction agents. I am a stickler for a perfect proposal. If you don't know how to do a proposal and we're not your agents, go to bookproposalworkshop.com, sign up. There's two or three classes a year. I teach them. We have a team of editors to help you. Okay, that's point one. Point two, if the proposal is perfect, I already know the editors who are going to be interested in it, or we wouldn't have gotten this far. I already have a list in my head, maybe not a complete list, but I know 10, 15 editors who are just telling me last week that they're looking for something like this. I will send it out. I will do my job, follow up, do a basic sales process. Hey, how are you doing, John? I haven't heard from you in a week. Why, you know, what's your opinion, whatever. And then hopefully I get two or three of them who like it. And then I either in pre-COVID, I would take the author to New York to meet the editorial teams or the publishing teams at, I don't know, different publishing houses, whichever ones are interested. And then I conduct an auction and then it's over. And I don't, that's the process. that you're able to develop uh, bidders like that. But in any case, aside from being well, a, COVID a, screwed up a lot of things, but oh, we, in don't, the old we days. All, don't we all know that? Uh, nice thing about it. It helped podcasts though, because people were staying at yeah, home. They listen to, they listen to stuff like this. I represent, did you read Stephen Westner's book, profitable podcasting? That's our client. No, no, I yeah. did not. Profitable podcast. Yeah. He talks about how to turn a podcast into serious money. He's, he's uh-huh. a brilliant man. Well, that I, actually, I probably will. Again, the title is profitable podcasting. I'm happy to send you a copy, Jim. Uh, well, I'd be interested for sure. Great. I'll put but in. what I'm intrigued by is on your website, uh, your agency offers something that I feel is, is well, un- unusually put, and maybe you can tell us about it. It says rent Wendy's brain. <laughs> Now, I mean, do you actually loan out your brain matter with the, you know, filled with experience? Or how do you go about this? Well, I have a little test tube and I, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I did that because people would often call and, you know, as harsh and mean as agents are, and we are, and, and all that other stuff. I, I feel, you know, I was a journalist before I became an agent and, you know, I know what it is to write something and care about it and not understand what you don't know. That's not getting it where you want it to go. 
And I feel sorry for people actually, not maybe pity, but I do feel sorry for them. And so people would call me all the time because I have this soft spot and they'd say, can I just pick your brain for 10 minutes? And it would end up taking an hour and a half. And I'm like, you know, no more. And so I thought to myself, okay, so I'm going to make this a paid thing. It's $350 an hour, which is affordable for most people. And I will make time. I will research the material that you send that we send you a list of what you need to send in advance, or you're trying to put together, or you're not getting an agent, or you don't understand how to do a platform, or you've got part of a platform, but you're missing the other part, or you want to become a speaker or whatever. And I will spend that hour giving people advice. I also do an extensive coaching pro coaching and consulting program, but that's very high end. And you have to kind of meet a pretty high level criteria to be able to be offered that it's not available for purchase. It's available by invitation, but the one hour I'm able to help people find out what's wrong with their material and go back and fix it or figure out how to make their platform bigger so that I or another agent can help them. Or in many cases, I think I've, you know, one of the consistent problems is that someone will offer me a project and the only piece of it that matters is the content they're proposing for chapter six and the rest of it is garbage. I've seen it three trillion times in my life. And if they work with me, I'll say, that doesn't matter. Focus on this because this will sell. And I'm pleased and honored that in many cases, people have taken my advice and either gone on to be successful with whatever they were trying, speaking, consulting, coaching, whatever, or they've come back with a proposal that reflects that chapter six. And I've become their agent and been able to sell it for them. That makes me really happy. So the question is uh, addressed to your brain. Uh <laughs> The, if somebody has a project and because we have both kinds, we have, I'm sure maybe we've converted some of our uh, fiction writers to consider doing some nonfiction, but if a fiction writer wants to come to you and buy or, or, or rent, I should say, Wendy's brain, is that possible? Or we only do nonfiction? Well, if they're looking to figure out how to change the character arc, don't call me, call somebody else. But if they're looking to figure out how to establish or build a platform in preparation for a published or self-published fiction book, um, I'm your man, except I'm not one. But <laughs> you know what I mean? I can be helpful because we platform be, we'll, building We're is general neutral, uh, neutral, neutral here. So that's I'll be a there and theirs. Yeah, all right. Um, That'll be my pronoun of choice for the rest of the call. But that's kind of that's kind of the thing. You know, you still are going to need ways to market it. And especially a lot of people are are sitting on a body of knowledge, which they don't even realize that they're unique in. I can think of so many people who came to me and they have some sort of incredible knowledge that they think everybody has. And so they don't see their uniqueness, their gift, their talent. And if we just pluck that out, you could turn it into a very successful project, whether or not that becomes your main revenue stream and you write as a hobby, write fiction as a hobby or whatever. I've seen that so many times. And I think another thing that's really important to hear is that, you know, the agents are not against you. We're not out in fiction, nonfiction, screenplay. We're not against you. We are desperate to meet you if your work is good and you have the right markers. We are longing to meet you because we got bills to pay. <laughs> right. Well, I want to think we're just about out of time, Wendy, but I, I want to thank you. I mean, it's been so valuable, your insight. I, I'm sure that our audience, I mean, aside from the writers that listen to this program, uh, this podcast, I should say, I mean, even the, the filmmakers that we have, uh, they're going to be amazed. Even some of the actors, my God, some of you actors need to get off your duff. You're not going to get hired for years, perhaps write a book, you know, and maybe Heck nonfiction yeah. might be the way to go. 
something to think about. But I guess that if uh, I know you're in Marina del Rey, and I, I'm assuming you don't accept walk-ins, so <laughs> my guess is the the best thing is to go to your website, learn how to submit a proposal, which will be defined on your website, and people who are interested could take it from there. Am I correct? All you got to do is kellermedia.com slash query, and there you go. We'll Kellermedia.com slash query. And yep. again, this information will be published on our website. So for some reason, um, your mind is going faster than your brain, not Wendy's <laughs> brain, of course. You can go to our website and find some of this information. And Wendy, you've been one of the best guests I've had on this podcast. I want Aww. to thank you. you your, your knowledge has been invaluable. And I know that our audience, if they could in person, would thank you. But of oh, course, you don't you. take walk-ins, so we'll <laughs> we'll have to see it the other way around. But thank you so much for joining. Thanks us. so much, Jim. All the and best. And I'll be right you. back in a moment with my important tip that you can use. But first, a message from our sponsors. James Polikoff will be right back in a few moments to provide his tips about the most important elements for writers who want their books published or screenplays produced. But first. Would you like to discover your hidden personality traits and sexual turn-ons by the chocolate you like? Well, then jump on the following website for the treat of your life, thechocolatedivas.com, www.thechocolatedivas.com. And to learn more about one of America's fabulous boutique wineries, come to the same website for details about an exciting event. That's www.thechocolatedivas.com. Now back to James for his important tip. Well, since we didn't spend much time on fiction writing when we were discussing this with Wendy, uh, what a fantastic guest she is. And I urge you, please go to her website. This agent is amazing, absolutely amazing. But anyway, uh, I'm just going to give you a quick little tip, particularly to writers uh, and writers who are doing fiction work, since we didn't touch much on fiction. The most important component of your novel or your screenplay is summed up in one word, emotion. And oftentimes as writers, we overlook the emotion quantity in, in, into a work that we do, whether it's the screenplay, the novel that we're writing. You know, you need to use what's in your heart, the, the objects you, you love, the, the music you love, the colors. That's where it all comes from. You need to bring your own mind and brain and emotions into conveying emotions in your novel. So anything that makes your heart bleed or makes you bellow out a song, use it. It's all about emotion. In any case, I look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Remember to check out our tips from experts, including Ron Howard, and discover upcoming guests at Breakthrough-Podcast.com. Discover industry secrets and fantastic tips about acting, writing, and filmmaking by coming to our website, Breakthrough-Podcast.com. You can also listen to our previous podcasts and learn what's coming up next. Go to www.breakthrough-podcast.com. Again, www.breakthrough-podcast.com. 